So, um, companies and churches and restaurants and the, the ice shaving little kiosk and on and on it, they have one thing in common generally. Um, these organizations and um, communities and people groups and schools, they have a mission statement. I'm not saying that they follow that mission statement, but I'm saying they have a mission statement. So what I thought would be fun, uh, because I enjoy having fun certainly, is that that I would put up a mission statement, okay? We're going to do five of these. I'm going to put up a mission statement. You're going to try to figure out uh, what company this mission statement comes from, all right? Sound like a fair game, okay? We'll also do this as a little bit of a gender competition, okay? So the first female that I hear, if you're right, then the females win, the first male Uh, that I hear than the males win. Okay, everyone understand the rules? Of course, the males will win. Here we go. Let's start here. In blank, you'll find a company that embraces substance and simplicity. Our mission is to serve others, and we think our customers are best served when we keep it real and keep it simple. Any guesses there? What's that? Home Depot. No. Uh, I like the simple play, though, because that was, okay, way to represent the males there. Any other guesses to this? What, what we, what's that? Breadco. Uh, another great guess. Um, no, if, if Breadco was a part of it, there would be something to do with smell, okay? Because every time I walk out of there, I always like, I smell like a mixture of bread and soup. This company, check this out, is Dollar General. <laughs> keep it real, keep it simple, you know? Dollar General. All right, so we're 0 for 1, not bad. Let's, let's see if we can make some progress here. To inspire and nurture the human spirit, one person, one cup, and one neighborhood at a time. I definitely heard a male on that first, and you're right. Uh, Next slide, it is Starbucks coffee. (laughs) Uh, This next one's really really interesting. Uh, It's it's maybe the most interesting of these five. Next uh, slide, check this out. To be the global leader in rentable home entertainment by providing outstanding service selection, convenience, and value. Anyone? No, not Redbox. Listen, this was Blockbuster's mission statement from nine years ago. Hashtag epic fail, right? Right? Listen to this. I was doing some research. This is crazy. Okay, in 2004, at their peak, they had 9,000 stores. Guess how many they have today? 51. 9,000 to 51. Okay, so, so it proves that you can have an outstanding mission statement and not accomplish it at all. Okay. Now let's sue the heart, okay? To be the fastest sports brand in the world. Hold on, who's... Yes. Yes, in fact, my dear friend, a man of my own heart, next... And they've accomplished it, haven't they? I mean, they are by far the best sports brand in the world, okay? I happen to be wearing my pooms uh, tonight. Now, listen, before we, before we, before we share this last one, I, we're all about ready to have a moment together, Okay? And so if you have tissue in your purse, uh, I would just, I would encourage you to go ahead and get that out. All right. Let's share in this very, um, very just incredible moment together. Here we go. The last one. To glorify God by being a faithful steward of all that is entrusted to us and have a positive influence on all who come in contact with. That is right, my friends. Here we go. (laughs) Jesus chicken. There it is, right? There, there it is. Um. So we, we've proven, okay, that some of these mission statements are certainly accomplished and, and others are not. 
I know that for the first time that some of you guys had a, a Chick-fil-A sandwich. You thought, yes, this is, in fact, glorifying the Lord. And, and, some, of you, and some of you remember the first time that you uh, rented from Blockbuster, and then you haven't seen one uh, since Desert Storm. And there's reasons for that, okay? My, my question is this. My question is this. Um, do we all have a common uh, mission statement as followers of Christ? Let's say it this way. Is there one mission statement for all followers of Christ? And if there was one mission statement, if it brought clarity to what we were trying to do, because that's what a mission statement does, the CEO or corporate executives, they set the tone, they say this is what we're about. If there was one, uh, then I think we would have a pretty, not only clear understanding of where we're going, but maybe a clear understanding of how it's going. Okay, so this is a rhetorical question, not a gender competition, but is there one? Uh, I believe that uh, most, in fact, there is. Um, I've seen many church communities where the mission statement and their vision uh, papers are in some, like, archaic document that hasn't been seen, um, you know, since the committee that wrote it like a hundred years ago. It's like down, you know, like with some glass around it and stuff. But, but our mission statement is very, very clear from Matthew 22. Jesus answering, what is the greatest commandment? He says that we're to love God and love people. Now, obviously, uh, just like Chick-fil-A's mission statement, it's an overarching statement that has a lot of substance underneath. So in their mission statement, we didn't see how a cook is to make a chicken sandwich, but we know that's still part of their mission. Are we, are we together? So loving God and loving people then encompasses everything. So under loving God and under loving people is everything that followers of Christ are to embody, are embodying. Uh, the question is, if we were evaluated based on mission statement alone, what do you think the world would have to say? So if we were in some talk show or something and the audience was asked, all right, uh, so the Christians, their mission statement is loving God and loving people. By a quick poll of the audience, how do you think that's going for them? Do they seem true to their mission? Do they seem true to their vision? Does it seem like that they're passionate about this thing or, or have they gotten distracted? Are they confused? Where are they at in all this? It's a really interesting thing to talk about, isn't it? What Paul has been doing in our study in 1 Corinthians the last couple chapters is he's been making very, very clear the substance of how he's taken love God and love people and applied it. Okay, a couple of the big hitters from the last couple of weeks that we've studied. Next slide are, are these. Remember this in 1 Corinthians 8? But take care that this right of yours, this freedom of yours, does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Remember, he was challenging the church in Corinth. Listen, we're not called to be a stumbling block. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we're either helping Okay, being a servant in the sanctification of our brothers and sisters, or we're hindering, we're inviting them into darkness. Then we saw also the other big hitter, uh, we saw this uh, last week in 1 Corinthians 9, nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, again, freedom, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. It's clear to me, I hope clear to you, that Paul's really, really passionate about the gospel. So tonight... Um, we are going to take a very, very curious journey through one of the most misinterpreted, misunderstood, overused phrases. This is our aiming point tonight, okay? To the weak, I became the weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. 
I mean, people have taken this verse and they have run in every possible direction. All things to all people. Seriously, almost in any conversation, this verse comes up, right? Like you're like sitting down for a McDonald's hamburger, right? And you're just like, I just, I'm just called to be all things to all people. That's why I'm here at McDonald's. You know, like I'm just loving on the people who eat here. Like it doesn't matter the context. Like this verse comes up over and over and over. And so tonight we are going to learn a ton. I pray each of us be sanctified in the Lord. And I, I want to, I wanna again, just listen. If you're a non-believer and you're here, it is amazing to have you. Here you're not ostracized. You're welcome in. We are, we're so grateful for your curiosity. So please tonight enjoy uh, the journey. So open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Last week we were uh, on a marathon. We studied 18 verses tonight, all of five. And there's a good chance we'll be here all night long. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let's start in verse 19. When you're there, say, I'm there. Here we go. Verse 19. For though, Paul says, I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. Does anyone else get the impression that this is Paul's mission statement? At least one of them. Let's read it again in that context. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. There's three huge words that I'm about to ready to underline in red that are going to drive our coming conversation. Here are the three words. Free, servant, and win. He's made very, very clear, including at the beginning of the chapter, that isn't he free? Again, a, a very common a Christian, a Christianese language that we use, we're freed in Christ. Well, well, what does that really, really mean? Okay. Next slide. I love this text in Galatians chapter 5. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So let me explain our freedom in Christ. Every single person born with this noose of sin around your neck, this weight of sin pressing your shoulders down into the earth, and the moment you confess that Christ is Lord and you receive the grace that just blankets and bathes all of you, past, present, and future sin, the scripture says we're given the Holy Spirit. And as all of those things happen, we are instantly freed from the bondage of our sin that held us so tightly. So instantaneously, we go from a dead man walking to an alive man waiting on an eternal life with our risen reigning Lord. Are you guys with me, right? So, so that's our freedom. But I love what Galatians 5 says. Is there's this double freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. In other words, we're to utilize this freedom that we have in Christ for his glory. And we're going to talk more about that here in a second. But first, Peter adds this to the concept of freedom. Live as people who are free. Not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as, what's the word there? Servants of God. The word for servant here is doulos in the Greek. Everyone say it with me. Doulos, come on. Again, every time we do this, you become a Greek scholar, right? You go home, you can tell your mom. Doulos, mom, it means servant. Okay, awesome, right? Now, doulos means, means slave. It has this, it has this root of, of servanthood and, and, and being a slave, being tied to something, being tied to something that you were purchased by. 
So in 1 Peter, we connect freedom and the idea of being a servant. That's really, really important. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at this. Remember, remember our, our second uh, highlighted word? Look at this. For though I am what? Come on. Free from all, I have made myself what? A servant to all. It's, it's the same Greek word, the same Greek root word, and it literally means, it literally means slavery. What the gospel does is the gospel makes us a bondservant of Christ. And listen to this. The gospel is so unbelievable that it makes a slave in a place of influence. It takes someone who is a bondservant of Christ because Christ has purchased us with a price, his own life. And now we're, because we're bought with a price, now we're connected to him forever as his servants. And again, this isn't a burdensome thing, the scripture says. This is a freeing thing, right? But in doing so, listen to how crazy the gospel is. The gospel actually makes those servants have influence. Why? Because the slaves are called ambassadors. Scripture calls every follower of Christ an ambassador of Christ, a representative of Christ. So generally, when you, when you think of the idea of being a slave, you think of someone that's being tied to them and they, they just merely work for them. But do you understand the beauty of the gospel? The beauty of the gospel says, all of you in Christ were bought with a precious, uh, precious cost, a precious price, the person of Jesus. And so now what's happened is you've been given influence And that influence is being used to be a representative of Christ in all things and in all ways. You see what Paul's saying here. This is unbelievable language. So look at how the end of the verse, verse 19 then ends, okay? That I might, what's the word? Win more of them. Now now this kind of language will trip some of you up because um, if you're like me, you grew up maybe in some kind of context where we're like, we were counting converts, raised hands when people prayed a prayer. And I was in many contexts, even had done so myself, like saying, oh, and you're going to heaven, and you're going to heaven because you prayed a prayer, which is completely inaccurate, potentially. I, had no, I have no idea. I'm not, a, I'm not a judger of souls, God is. So the idea of winning is somehow tied to, tied to us, right, that we have like this, this like cool, you know, tally belt, you know, we're like, okay, yeah, and that person came to Christ, and that, I count that one, and, you know, there, there's some tally sheet up in heaven, and God's like, way to go, you know, you, you won one for the Gipper. Is that what's going on here? Well, the Greek word is keradino, because everyone say it with me again, keradino, come on, keradino. And the, the Greek word literally means to gain. So now let's say this verse in the fullness of what he's saying. For though I am free from all, have liberty from all, I have made myself a servant or put myself in the place of a slave to who to all because of Christ then somehow to all that I might gain more of them that in all things and in all ways my mission my passion who I am as a man of God is to share Christ in every possible venue I possibly can What we've done with this verse is we've added a little bit of twist. Here's how I think we would render this, our vision. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to myself that I might win. 
Does that seem decently accurate? Here's my question. Why are we so distracted? Again, back to the image, right? Like a bunch of those who don't believe are, so hey, tell us about the Christians. They seem like they're true to their mission, their vision. How's, how's it going for them, right? Does anyone else fear what would be said? Well, we, we hear it said, right? Do you feel like you have clarity of purpose? Do you feel like you wake up every single day and, and you say, I know what today's about? Or can we just agree, it is so insanely easy to start thinking that we've been made a servant to ourselves so that we can win. Whatever winning means that day. Whatever gaining notoriety means that day. Whatever making a buck means that day. Whatever raising our children means that day. Like all of those things. They become these easy uh, distractions that we latch on to. But, but can we agree the mission statement is very, very clear? Can we, are, are we in, in agreement with that? Like there's no ambiguity. Love God, love people. Everything that loving God comes with, uh, the scripture says that it, uh, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. And my commands won't be burdensome, First John says. And then loving people, then what we've seen recently is that, that you literally become a, a servant to all. So here's what I want to do. I want to gather all of the believers right now together. Because every single one of us in this room right now have made the, the latter statement. And every single one of us are in desperate need of grace. Are you, are you with me? Okay, so the question isn't right now, like, you know, tallying up our wins. The question is right now, God blanket us with grace. And tonight, sanctify us, grow us, move us forward. So do you guys want to grow tonight? Okay? All things to all people. Let's keep going in verse 20. Look at this. His first example of three. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews, gain Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. Let's explain some things here before we get going. Now, if I was a, uh, if I was a slave and I was, I was bought to be a slave underneath a particular kind of family, and that family happened to be, uh, I grew up in Iowa uh, for five years, and in Iowa there were uh, a ton of Amish there. And I, like, I'm super intrigued with the Amish, like seriously, like the lifestyle, it's, it's, it's pretty incredible like how they function and how uh, they do, their cheese is amazing and on and on. There's a lot of amazing things about being an Amish. Now listen, if that family said, all right, Mark, you're going to be our servant. Well, if I didn't figure out what it meant to be a servant for an Amish family, we would have some trouble. But then if I learned how to be a servant for an Amish family, and then all of a sudden they traded me to a family in downtown New York City, and I took all of the principles that I had learned from being with this Amish family, and I then placed them with the New York 
city family, and, you know, I started to do and practice and exist in the things that I had done over there, don't you see that there would be a little bit of, like, I problema for the bilingual, right? Or if it was reversed. Or if I left New York, you know, to a little village in Iowa and took all of the same principles with me, both of these families would be like, no, that's not what a servant does. A servant comes into the family and figures out who we are, and then they, what's the word maybe? Adapt? Become wise? Become shrewd? So Paul was born a what? He was born a Jew, okay? And what he says here, okay, I, I, to the Jews I became a Jew. So in other words, when I'm around the Jews... I position myself from a behavior standpoint, which is every kind of context that he talks about tonight. It's behavior. He never says to the thief, I became a thief, or to the adulterer, I became an adulterer. He never says that. Okay? He's talking about behavior and, and, the, and the, the pieces that come with it. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law. Okay? To, to those who were still submitting to the Mosaic law, the Old Testament law, But what does he say? Though not being myself under the law, because what kind of law is he under now? The law of liberty or the law of Christ. When Jesus comes, Jesus says, I have fulfilled the law and the prophets. So now our belief in Christ fulfills all of the Old Testament law. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. Now, to illustrate this, because I know some of you are like, hold on a second, how how does that work? Like, like how does Paul walk into a situation and all of a sudden just say, like, boom, I'm, I'm a Jew now? Right? Let, let me show you. This is a great example. Next slide. Okay? There is a difference between compromise and contextualization. And at no place in this whole journey is Paul talking about compromising. What he's talking about in every example we're about to see is how do you contextualize in a specific situation, in order that what? That those might hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. Okay. So let me give you a, a little bit of a working definition on contextualization. This comes from a super baller, Dean Gilly, uh, Gilliland. He was an amazing Fuller uh, Seminary scholar, okay, died a couple years ago. Here's what he says about contextualization. Contextualization is a tool to enable insofar as word possible an understanding of what it means that Jesus Christ, the word, is authentically experienced in each and every human situation. True? Beautiful language. Such a tool is necessary because while the human condition and the gospel remain the same, look at this, people have different worldviews which in turn impact how they uh, interpret themselves, the world, and the things you say. So in other words, when we go and travel to Ecuador, which we're getting ready to do with a team of 26, and I'm super, super pumped. My daughter Avery is going this year with us, so that's going to be amazing. And uh, as she wrote in her bio, you know, what are you most excited about? She says, returning home alive was her statement, okay? Um, uh, It's a true story. Um, When we go to Santana, the village in Ecuador... The worldview there is incredibly different. Let's get like super, super narrow. When you show up at your workplace versus when you show up in 
this setting or this setting over here. Can we just agree in every setting you're in, there's a different kind of worldview. But what never changes the gospel. So contextualization is how we adapt, interpret, understand that in each of these different scenarios, people's worldviews are different. We don't compromise, not called to compromise the scripture in any way, shape, or form or the gospel. But what we can do and what Paul's addressing is we, guided by the Holy Spirit, all of a sudden find ourselves in a place of influence as a servant to all. So let me show you how this flushes out. Next slide. This is the the prime example here in Acts 16. We've used this uh, text a couple different times because it's very, very interesting. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy. You guys remember this? The son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek, which which means we have a problem. Mixed marriage. Okay, which means that that if those who uh, t- uh, Paul's taking with him on a missionary trip are in that kind of weird cultural thing, he, he needs to make some adjustments. And here's what Paul does. He was well-spoken by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. He was already a believer. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and what? Circumcised him because of who? The Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And again, I, I know none of you are, are like, okay, so how does that apply? Like, does it, do we have to do this? Is it, you know, no. Okay. But, but it shows you how Paul is being a Jew to the Jews. He's coming into the situation. He knows that his disciple Timothy is from a mixed marriage. And so what happens then in the act of circumcision, it doesn't go against Scripture in any way because they're freed in Christ. So circumcision or not isn't an issue of salvation. Timothy understands that. Paul understands that. Instead, a circumcision now would be a means of bridging the gap culturally. Do you guys understand? Now, what people have done with contextualization in our culture, oh my goodness. Mix it up, mess it up, and I would say the majority of our uh, trouble comes from things like this, okay? You see these kinds of people. If you saw these people on on a street in New York, okay, there is one facet of this picture that says they are from New York. (laughs) I mean, seriously, you you would see these people. You're not asking these people for directions, you know? I mean, the fanny pack gives that away in and of itself, you know? Uh, You got the camera, the both the eye, I mean, they're wearing hats, they're wearing sunglasses, the sun is going down. Like, what's going on, you know? You don't do that here, okay? But what we have done is we have decided as a Christian community, take that down, somewhat scary, okay? We've decided as a Christian community that what we need to do is we need to just ignore the culture that we're in, create our own culture, and then invite the world into that, and if they won't, forget them. And so we're going to have all of our own stuff, all of our own stores, all of our own concepts, all of our own shirts and apparel and whatever else. And if the world won't adapt to that, then forget them. What Paul says is, I'm actually going to become a servant to all. Why? In the hope that some would be one for the gospel. I'm not going to compromise the message at all. The gospel will not be compromised, but I will contextualize 
So let me, one more practical thing on this and then we'll move on. I, I think for some of you, you've blamed it on relational evangelism. I would say relational evangelism is like one of the, one of the terms of the 90s, right? The early 2000s. So hey, like, you know, like when was the last time you shared Jesus with someone just because you were passionate about what Christ has done? He's extended grace. Well, you know, I'm just, I'm just building relationships, you know? Nothing against building relationships, right? Like I love relationships. Like we, we all love relationships here. Nothing against that. But we've used that term relational evangelism to be a means of buying time in our fear. But what if our only purpose on this earth in loving God and loving people was to represent God in all things and in all ways? I'm not saying that God wouldn't call you to build a relationship. Certain situations, that will 100% be the case. But what about the other times when you're walking in step with the Spirit when God just prompts you, guided by the Spirit, to walk over to your neighbor and to ask pertinent questions that would lend itself an opportunity to share the flat-out gospel right here, right now, no matter what the response. But in that moment, right, like, it's so easy for us just to pull back and say, I don't know, and you're feeling the prompting. Like you, it's like golden opportunity that the neighbor has, has set it up. I mean, they've brought you into their life. They've shared something deep, and you could share the freedom that you have in Christ, and it is so easy in your mind and in your heart to chalk it up to building relationships. I, I'm just, I'm just going to give it more time. The one thing I do appreciate about Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames, the only thing that I appreciate about that dramatization is the urgency of time. I have and you do not have any idea of how much time there is. That's why our submission to the one who holds the clock is the freedom that we can have in Christ. So God lead us then. So he says, Jew, I'm a Jew, so that when we come into situations, people aren't instantly like, hold on a second, like, you're definitely, like, you, you have no fit here. Now, some of you are like, oh, but hold on, hold on, Mark, but, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we're just, we're pastor buyers. True, 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 100%. Agree, fully. Okay. But, my friends, there is so much opportunity in contextualization to live our lives in such a way that we don't look like we don't belong, even though in our heart we know we don't. Are you guys with me? We can know the truth and exist in the truth while all the while bridging a gap in the hopes that some would be one, as Paul says. So verse 21, our second example, he goes on, this is beautiful. To those outside the law, the Gentiles, a Gentile uh, is just a non-Jew, okay? I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So Paul's not saying, like, I, I can just do my own thing. No, I exist under the law of Christ. And what does he say here again? That I might what? Win those outside the law. An amazing story in the scripture that illustrates this phenomenally well. I know many of you guys know the story of Daniel in the lion's den, right? Come on. Like, Daniel in the lion's den, man. Like, that, you, so if you grew up in the church, like, that was every Sunday school felt board, you know, like, as a seven-year-old, seven like, you had the Daniel in the lion's den shirt. Like, it, it, was, it was all you, right? 
Well, if you, if you remember, Daniel was born of what? Anyone know? Come on, he was born of what? He's born a Jew, then what happens? He gets deported to Babylon, okay? Not good. Babylon's not like a great place to exist, okay? In fact, they're, they're deported there for all kinds of heinous reasons. But what happens is, listen to this, this is crazy. God uses Daniel in a foreign land, like a Jew and a Gentile, gives him influence, and those of you that know the story, he all of a sudden finds himself in a, in a place of ruling in the kingdom. It happens with two different kings. So much so that in the end, just listen to this, I just want to read this for you. After the, after the lines then, look what happens. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell on the earth. Everybody, okay, that's what that means. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. What? Like this dude was all about himself. Look at this. For he is the living God enduring forever. That's what King Darius says. And he goes on and on and on. You guys can read it in Daniel chapter 6. Why? Because Daniel comes into Babylon, a Jew in a Gentile land. And what he does is he he contextualizes. He doesn't conform to the pattern of the world. But he lives out what God has done in him. He grows in influence all by God's favor. Okay? And then what happens in the end is he has a chance to compromise, and what does he do? He doesn't compromise. He's still praying, even though the king has said, you can't pray. And then all of a sudden, you have a pagan king saying, everyone will worship Daniel's God. That's the power of what happens. Unbelievable. Well, I think it's illustrated in this, uh, in this setting. What do you think... Most non-believers fear out of these three words. What do you hear? What do you hear non-believers say? What I hear most non-believers say is that they fear legalism. Okay, when you talk to someone that doesn't believe in Christ, and again, those of you who aren't believers in here, I think you'll relate to this, or you can remember because you just were. Most of your contention against the church was all the rules and regulations, right? Because you believed or saw, because believers live that way and talk talk like that, that it wasn't grace. They said grace, but really what they lived is you got to earn it. You got to shape up or you're going to ship out, right? That that you got to clean up and then maybe Jesus will do something to you. And so you really, really fear being caught in the trap of legalism. That's what most non-believers would say. But what's the reality? As a non-believer becomes a believer, what is the greatest point of contention? How to live as one who's been freed. So all along, their greatest fear wasn't legalism. Just about everyone in this room proves that deep down, our greatest fear is what do we do with freedom? Uh, have some of you seen uh, Shawshank Redemption? Come on now, if you haven't seen it, repent now. Like it's like epic. <laughs> Cue Shawshank Redemption. Let's just play it all right now. No, like re- remember what happens in Shawshank Redemption? 
I think his name was Red, right? He had spent almost his whole life in prison. Then he, you guys know the story, right? He gets let out, and what happens? He doesn't know what to do with freedom, and so what does he do? He commits suicide. Because all of a sudden, he's freed, and he doesn't know how to exist in freedom. Now, do you understand what Paul is saying? So, as a Jew, I'm going to be a Jew. When I'm around Gentiles, there's a certain kind of behavior that will address more of a Gentile crowd. Why? So that I can teach them and show them and help them embody the freedom of Christ. They say that they're fearful of legalism, but deep down, they all want freedom and they all want to know how to exist in it. And that is you. That's me. You hate waking up and you feel the weight of the world on your shoulders again. You hate the days you wake up completely confused. The greatest points of contention in your life are the days that you experience the most stress. We long for freedom. And what Paul keeps coming back to is we have that freedom in Christ. Lastly on this verse, here's how James puts it on the law of liberty. But be doers of the word. I've never noticed verse 22, which is a famous verse and how it meshes with 23 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves, right? For if anyone's a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For if he looks at himself and goes, goes away and at once forgets and at once forgets what he was like. But look at this, verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the what? The law of what? Liberty, which is the what? The law of who? The law of Christ. Okay? But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. In other words, the one who is freed and then lives in that freedom. Oh, my goodness, the life. The joy in the midst of pain and sorrow. Those who are freed in Christ and then live as freed men and women. That is where the life is. And that's what Paul's been saying. I've been freed to do what? Show everyone else what freedom in Christ is. Not legalism, not loose liberty, but what freedom in Christ truly is. So to the Jews, I'm going to show them what freedom from legality looks like. To the Gentiles, I'm going to show them that they don't have to be fearful of being like the legalistic people. I'm going to show them the freedom of Christ. In a contextual way, in a powerful way, in a way that the Spirit would lead me. And that's why verse 22, his third example, is so insanely powerful. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I'm sure this example won't hit any of the rest of you, but let's talk family for a second, shall we? Okay. Uh, so how many of you married men are in here? Or da- ma- married or dating men? How many of you guys are in here and you're married or dating? Okay. Luke, Thomas, I see that, bro. That's good. Okay. So Luke, my guess is, there, my guess is there was a time that you remember like walking into the, to the, lo- to the home of the in-law. Right? Okay. You remember that day? 
Men, do you guys remember that day? Right? Like the first time, Baker, do you remember that? Come on, you remember that, right? Like the first time, she was like, hey, I really want you to meet my family. Well, for me, and my guess is many of you, it's this instant, like, excitement met with much trepidation and possible urination, right? Like, you're, you're scared, <laughs> right? But listen, it is, it's the perfect example. Why? Because if you go up and walk up into that in-law's home, and if you, if you're just, if you just, as our culture says now, if you just do you, right? If you just walk in and you talk like you talk and you, you know, walk like you, there's no conformity at all. There's no like adaptation rather at all. I guarantee you in most situations, mom and dad are going to sit back and be like, I don't think so. You know, like if you walk up to your father and you're like, what up, homie, man? Like, give me some love, you know, which, which my father-in-law is a farmer. Like that would have been a punch in my nose, you know, homie, son, you better sit down, boy. You know what I'm saying? Like. I just mowed some corn. Not, not mowed. Um, I'm glad I didn't say that. See, I didn't say that. I remember studying farming. But for those of you that aren't dating, for those of you that aren't dating, listen. The way to do this is you ask as many reconnaissance questions as you possibly can before you go into that in-law home. So that when you show up, you already know that mom makes a killer cheesecake. So, hey, um, I was just curious. Do you like cheesecake at all? Well, yes, I do. Oh, really? I, what kind of cheesecake do you like? And all of a sudden, you find yourself talking to your mother-in-law for 20 minutes about cheesecake. And you already have your backup question because you know she likes kittens, you know? <laughs> oh, and so how many cats? Did you have a kitty when you were younger? Yes, I did. And, and you guys know what happens when, when you leave. That boy is the best young man I have ever met. He could come back here anytime, you know? That's what happens. That's real. But we've stopped doing reconnaissance culturally. You see what I'm saying? We've just stepped into every situation and said, culture, you need to be like us. Let me confess something. That's what we did as a church for many years. I would say our first three or four years was summarized by us creating culture and then saying, come on in. And what's happened in the last six is we've said, no, 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 we're going to go to the culture. We're going to love people where they're at. We're going to walk with them, extend grace, kill and purge judgment in the hopes that some would understand why that can happen. It's only because of Christ. So he says, to the weak I became weak. Now, there's been a lot of language about the weak in 1 Corinthians. So this could mean in some senses maybe, you know, a a believer who's right there on the cusp, very, very immature. Either way, it's his third and final example. And again, in closing in verse 22, he says, I become all things to all people that, that by all means I might save some. Again, language that could trip you up. Paul knows and recognizes because you have to read the Bible from a systematic way that, that he doesn't save. He has been clear, it's by grace, through faith. That's what Paul has said over and over and over. But his language has been consistent in all this, that I want to be used as an ambassador. So I want to wrestle with some things that I hope will apply to you and I, and cause us a great chance to wrestle. 
all things to all people, here's what it does not mean as we define this. Being all things to all people does not mean an inconsistency in character. Are we in agreement? It does not mean over here I drop F-bombs and over there I don't. Do we understand? And again, it's, it's, not, it's not a legalistic thing. It's just that in all things, I, I desire to worship the Lord. And so in this setting, with let's again use the Jew and Gentile image, with the Jews, I'm, I'm not going to uh, change the, the character, the spirit of God working through me. The, the fruits of the spirit will be present and displayed. That's what some of you have interpreted all things to all people. You're like, sweet. Now I can go up to the parties and I can say what I want and do what I want because, again, I'm, I'm building relationships for the glory of God. And many of you guys know this, but I had an amazing opportunity in college. I felt called to, to go, okay? I, I love the Halloween parties because I love dressing up, okay? And I know many of you guys know the story, but I, I dressed up one year as duct tape boy, Okay? Literally, my whole body was covered in duct tape. It took three hours to wrap me. My friends literally had to carry me like a mummy and put me in the car like I was not mobile, okay? I didn't drink, didn't do, you know, didn't do anything that night except be at the party. And what happened was it was another opportunity. Many of you guys know, like 15 of my football teammates came to Christ. It was another, like, sick, but what are you doing here? Dude, I'm just hanging out, duct tape boy. I won best costume that night, you know? Mark Sigma, and a lot, of the, a lot of the guys were like, what, that's Sigma, you know? And all of a sudden, they're like, you know, holding me up and walking me around, you know? Like the most outspoken believer on the campus. And God was using that as an opportunity. I didn't have to, I didn't have to give in on any facets of, of character at all. It could be you, God, had called me to be, and in the same way, be winsome. All things to all people does not mean, check this out, and I hope you understand this, a compromise of Scripture, Okay? We talk about all the time here. This is God's word. It is true. Every single word of it, that's our freedom. It would be so bonding if the words in here weren't true if we had to pick and choose. Don't you agree? It would be the most confusing thing, but it's all true and it's all beautiful. It's all freedom. So all things is all, uh, to all people doesn't mean now all of a sudden we take chunks of scripture and we're like, I, if, I, if I take a stance on this particular sin issue in this group of people, like, I don't, I need to be all things to all people. So, hey, it's cool. It's all good. Do so with grace. I, I say it all the time here. For the love. Not believers in the room expect a non-believer to act like a believer. Stop doing it for the love. It's the thing that's creating the biggest gap between believers and non-believers. Believers are expecting a non-believer to act like they've been saved. The moment you stop doing that in your life will be the moment all of a sudden grace gets extended because you remember that you were once in that period of without Christ. Okay. So we don't compromise scripture at any point. Okay. Thirdly, all things to all people does not mean that contextualization is more important than the gospel itself, which has been huge in our time. Now it's dumbed down Lessen the gospel. Don't call people to repentance. Just kind of call them to self-help. Right? Like when you're, when you're talking and sharing the gospel, you know, make sure that you don't say all of the stuff. Have you, listen, 
When was the last time you just read the words of Jesus when he's talking to people? Like he has this unbelievable way of sharing the truth, doing so in a loving way, and at the same time, like, like bringing the hammer, you know? Where people walk away feeling loved and feeling grace, but at the same time knowing truth. Are you guys, are you guys with me? So the beauty of contextualization never being more important than the gospel, we're not trying to figure out, listen, we're not trying to figure out how to squeeze the gospel through contextualization. We're trying to figure out how to contextualize the gospel. The gospel is what it is, and it's, it's never changing. Praise God for that. What we're trying to do is to say, okay, for this group of people, how can our reconnaissance help us in asking appropriate questions that would even opportune us uh, at times to share the power of Christ. Number four, all things uh, to all people does not mean that you are trapped by a constant identity crisis, which I know many of you are right now. You're like, oh my goodness, all things to all people? What in the world? So now you're like the whole way up in the elevator as you're getting ready to go to work, you're like, okay, all things to all people, all things to all people. And, and you're like so burdened by how to adapt and what to do and what to say. And then sometimes you say the wrong things and then you retreat. Listen, one of the most freeing things, seriously, is when I stop believing that I saved anybody. I'm not the savior and I'm not the sanctifier. You guys understand what I'm saying? God does the work. No matter how abysmally I share the gospel, God can do a saving work. Are we together? But what happens often, right, is you're like, I didn't say it exactly like I was told in the four spiritual laws. I'm out, right? You know, you, you get trained in some evangelism tactic, and, you know, you didn't, and you're, like in, you're like thinking through all the steps in your mind as you're sharing. And step one, brother, do you believe that you'll, you know, and you're like so robotically, and then you walk away, oh man, I blew it. Listen, our freedom in Christ is Christ saves. So it frees us then to be a representative and not God. We don't show up in situations as God. We show up in situations representing God. And that's our freedom. Are you guys with me? Are you Okay. So we're not trapped by this constant identity crisis like, oh no, what are we going to do? Finally, on number four, listen, the scripture says in Galatians that we're to stay in step with the Spirit of God. And when we stay in step with the Spirit of God, entrenched in what God is doing, the Spirit will never lead us astray. And I don't want to oversimplify, but at the same time, I, I long to. Because clarity of mission and vision brings so much help and healing. And so finally, number five, hit on it a bit. All things to all people does not mean that relational evangelism is a, is a, is a crutch. God, lead us by your spirit. Embolden us by your spirit. God, give us a heart that is ready to do reconnaissance. And I'm obsessed with verse 23. I do it all for the sake of the what? Of the gospel. That I might share with them in its blessings. I've had to process a lot. Why are we so distracted? If the mission is so clear, why do we find ourselves 
living life like it's the job that drives us? If the mission is clear, why do I find myself so easily trapped by insecurities? If the mission is clear, and I, like I, I've had to process that. And ultimately where I've landed, and I just want to encourage you in all this, is do I believe that God really is who he said that he is? That's what it comes down to. The moments where all of a sudden I'm overwhelmed and overcome with this faith that says that God is who he said that he is, in that moment nothing else matters. And I have to confess, sometimes it's at the right point in the song. Sometimes it's watching Remember the Titans, okay? Like in a point of inspiration, you know? And you're like, oh yes, all the, you know, and your heart gets warmed. But I believe we are called to something so much deeper than mere inspiration. Than faith that hits the Richter scale like once a year. God never changes, is all the time God and all the time sitting on the throne. So I, I plead and pray over all of us, God increase our faith right now. Because if we believe that, that his grace was really sufficient, don't you think that that would forever be on our lips? Not because anyone had ever told us to do so, but because we couldn't stop talking about what we love. It would be so natural. So then it has to be that deep down in our hearts we're still doubting whether or not this God is real. And I know all of us, including myself, are like, but Mark, how can that be? I just know the result of faith. Thankfully, God gives it. And we can pray for it. And that's why, even though mission is clear, it's these passages in Romans that all of a sudden bring tremendous clarity. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, Adam, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the what? Come on. Through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men. In other words, because Adam and Eve sinned, now all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at this. So what's the word? Come on. One act of righteousness leads to justification of life for all men. Okay, so hold that thought. One because of sin leads to death, and one act of righteousness means life. So let's look at this beautiful text in, in Romans chapter 6. Next slide. Look at this, please. For the death he died to sin, what? Once for who? For all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So let me just make it, spell it out, give all of us, including myself, a very clear understanding of what the scripture is saying tonight. This is the point right here. We can be all things to all people because one died once for all. One Christ sent, one Christ died so that all of his people 
could be freed from the bondage of the past of their sin, could be freed from the bondage of legalism, could be freed from all the things that would so easily entangle so that they could be guided by the Spirit of God and walk into a situation and find themselves thinking not about themselves but about the beauty of the gospel and that it changed them and it could change them. Then in every situation, every ball game, every workplace, Every lunchroom, your mission is one thing. That's it. And that's where true freedom is. Just because one died once. So for those of you that have come in here, you're like, Mark, I don't, I don't even know where to begin with all of this. Uh, let me encourage you with this. I know that life can be sought for in many different places and you know the rhythm. I, I want to encourage you in all love, you're going to keep searching until that search lands you at a place of grace. And the only place of grace comes through Christ. That's it. And so you too, in Christ, can be an ambassador of God and there's no better calling, there's no better role, no better mission. And so maybe just maybe tonight a whole bunch of believers walk away from this and say, you know what, I've been um, hesitating in sharing my faith and I'm realizing tonight that I'm not so sure I'm meant or called to do anything else but the one thing that I'm most fearful of. I want you to stand with me. The power of the broken body of Christ, listen, is that somehow one act of sacrifice means salvation in South America and Africa and North America and Antarctica and Asia and Europe and Australia that somehow in every culture in every context in every a people group the body the broken body of Christ means life think about that contextualization for a second one sacrifice once for all he broke the bread with his disciples and then he held up the cup and he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. Take and drink and do this in remembrance of me. And so tonight, my friends, as called ambassadors, as called to this very, very clear, laser-focused kind of life, we get to rest in his grace from all the times we've been distracted, from all the doubts from all the lack of faith. Tonight, church, come to the table. This meal is for believers to take a piece of the bread and to dip it in the cup and to once again proclaim that He is your God. So Father, I pray over us tonight. In all the ways that we have hesitated, in all the ways we've just tried to create culture and instead of understanding how you would call us to 
exist in it, but not of it. I ask God for freedom across this room. Embolden us, God. Remind us each of the power of the grace that's in your Son. And as we come to the table tonight, please receive us once again in love. Church, respond when you're ready tonight.